All right. So this morning, Sunday morning, it is uh, August 14th, 2011. Our message this morning in the notes section of your bulletin, please write the whole nation. Whole is in W-H-O-L-E. Whole. Entire nation. You can turn in your Bibles then to Joshua 3. We're going to be in the 14th verse is where we're going to start. The nation that we're speaking about in Joshua is Israel. Go ahead, girl. One of you is there. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua. Then get to the third chapter and say there when you're in the 14th verse. There. There. Right. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Priests have many roles in the Bible. They mediate between God and men. They uh, offer sacrifices on others' behalf. They help the people atone or, or have guilt atoned for. They're not psychologists. They are intermediaries. They are men who lay their hand upon God and lay their hand upon their fellow man and they make peace between the two. The chief priest, the high priest, is Yeshua. But He's called us to be a nation of priests. Agree? The priest's job was to go ahead of the people with the ark. Number one, if you're going to be a priest of the living God, you have to get out front. It is not okay to take a White House style opinion poll and decide where the tide is going and then move in that direction. Our job is to find out where the presence of God is and then lead the way. The kingdom is a kingdom full of trailblazers. It is a kingdom full of people who will get out in front and find out what God is doing. One famous German evangelist, Reinhard Bunker, said, you sit and you pray for the will of God and I will run you over from behind while I do the will of God. So often we get caught in apathy. So often we sit in a place where we make ourselves feel good because we say we are praying about it. Well, let's start doing what He has told us to do and then let prayer direct your movement, not your inactivity. Amen? The priests had to get out in front and they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Everywhere we go, this Ark is called the Ark of the Testimony. The tablets that were the righteous requirements of God were in that Ark of the Testimony. Your body is like an Ark of the Testimony and it carries in it the righteous requirements of God. This is your testimony. Our job is to get out in front of the people so that they can see. They can look at Patricia. They can look at Irma. And they can go, there is something inside of that person different than the normal person. That is a life I would like to imitate. That is a life that I would like to follow. This is how Peter can tell us something like, be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you. In other words, your life is the kind of life that is out front, that is on display, that others want to know more about. This is what God has called His people to. He said, so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. What, a, what an interesting concept. When the people of God want to go do something for God, when they want to accomplish something for God, number one, you have to break camp. That's an interesting word, break camp. They broke camp. It's almost as if there are attachments. There are difficulties because when we sit in one place, we get 
attached to it. Amen, Jen? Yeah. It's very, very hard when God moves you from one place to another, isn't it? My wife's not in here, so I'm picking on this gym. Right? Every time we've ever moved, it took me some months to get my wife to quit shopping in the city we came from, even if it was four hours away. And when the advent of the internet came out, and that was something that people shopped in all of the time, it was even worse. God calls you to break camp and go where His presence goes. He calls us to do that. He never said, go find a comfortable place for you and set roots. He didn't say that. In fact, we're supposed to be people with our cloaks tucked in our belt, passing through like aliens and strangers. Now, that is much easier said than done. Many times the Lord has moved me when I did not want to be moved. I have never cried, never, never fought, never kicked against the grain more than the times that He's moved me when I was comfortable where I was. But people like Mandy Wakefield and Yvette and some of those that you know sure are happy that we showed up when we did. See, you don't know what is on the other side of the Jordan. You just know that the Lord is saying, you must go. And I want to tell you that when the Lord calls you to cross something, it's always at flood stage. If there is going to be a harvest, then there is flood stage. The Jordan in this case could be thought of as waters of judgment. Like, uh, like what came and washed away all of the people in Noah's death. And when they need to cross it, and they need to reach the harvest that God has called them to, it swells. There is a relationship between the harvest and the judgment. They will always show up together. This is because... The Lord of the universe has got a winnowing fork in His hand. And He is gathering the wheat into the barn and the chaff. He's burning with unquenchable fire. See, judgment and the harvest always go together. But you know who's supposed to be out front crossing ahead of everyone? You are. You are the example. You are the one with the ark of the testimony in you. So we break camp wherever we were comfortable. We get out in front with the presence of God and we set the example of His testimony and you expect great opposition because He wouldn't have told you to go if it was going to be easy enough for somebody else to do. Yeah? See, He would not have called somebody that He invested His power, His testimony, His name in to do it if it could be done by somebody else. He called you to do what only you can do. And if you don't do it, friends, it is left undone. How many countless thousands have died because some American said, I'll send a check instead of go myself? How many people have died because somebody let their flesh talk them out of what their spirit knew was right? The work of God is never easy, but it is because it is the work of God that it is not easy. Optional. Amen? Amen. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. There is a judgment coming. It cannot be stopped by anything other than then people who have been bought by the blood of Jesus and are obedient to His command. There is one thing that causes you to stand in the tide of judgment, and it is your trust-grounded obedience or the obedience that comes from faith. We cannot very well say we trust Him if He says go to the other side of the Jordan and you say no. 
We cannot very well say He is our King if we do not do what He says. We cannot call Him our Savior if He is not our Lord. But judgment stops the moment that He says jump and you say, yes, sir. Because you are showing that He is your King. He is your Lord. You trust Him enough to be obedient to Him. And even if it costs you your life, it's all you have to give and you have gladly given this is the attitude with which the priests had to step in. Remember, they don't know how this story is going to end. They just know that the Lord said, do it. Like one man said, I didn't know how many bouncers it was going to take to throw me out. But I did know how many they were going to use. <laughs> yeah, how about that? So when we get to verse 16. The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap at a great distance away. Friends, the judgment will never come near you as long as you are obedient. At a town called Adam, isn't it interesting the judgment started there? <laughs> in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water was flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. I want you to hear what opposite Jericho is. Whatever is on the other side of this boundary, whatever it is, wherever the Lord has said to go, what your opposition is, is the power of the world and the world system and the prince who is ruling it. There is a prince of the power of the air and he believes that these kingdoms are his. Unfortunately for him, the Lord has said they belong to me and you. And anyone else who has the kingdom of God born in them. So what is on the other side of the Jordan? What is on the other side of your obedience? What is on the other side? It is the harvest that comes as the world system falls to your obedience. It is the kingdom of God. And it is always the exact opposite of the kingdom of the world. This is what is wrong with trying to be worldly. To reach people. This is what is wrong with imitating the world in the hope that in being like them, they will think that you're all right and then want to learn about Jesus. We are direct opposites. We are polar opposites. We are called light and they are called darkness. Friends, I want to give you a warning from the pulpit. With all the authority that God invested in this place, in this position, you cannot be friends with the world and God. It will not work. He is Lord he is king, Amen. he is your sovereign, and he is your savior, or you have made a compromising treaty with the enemy. Yeah? Amen. Amen. I pray that we don't do that. Listen, it will always be flood stage. You will always have to break camp. Those are always difficult. But listen what the goal of God is. He says, so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan. Friends, if we had less, less double-sided preaching, less two-handed preaching on this hand with this, and on the other hand that, and we had men of God who stood their ground in the middle of the difficult place and set the example, God's people will be revealed. Amen. Amen. All too often we're like, well, how do you feel about it, JJ? Well, how do you feel about it? I'm sure that that is, I mean, that's what God wants for you. How do you feel about it, Brandon? Do you feel differently than JJ? Well, God's will is really different for everybody. We have this two-handed preaching. 
We have this idea that whatever you want is God's will. That is not the way that this works, saints. Very often, God's will is directly opposed to yours because we can be carnal. When we delight in Him, this word delight in Hebrew has to do with making your heart pliable, soft. When we delight in Him, He gives us the desires of our heart. That's because they originated in His presence and then were fully born, conceived, grown in your heart. Saints, now is a good time for us to begin to think, are we living a life that is out front? Are we carrying the righteous requirements of God in our heart? Are we standing firm? Are we living an example that others would follow? Or have we gotten to the reverse edge and gone, you know, it's at flood stage, maybe some other time would be better. You know, a famous figure said, if not now, when? Yeah. Saints, when? When are the saints of God revealed? When do we stand up? When do we do all that He has called us to do? I'm tired of living a polite Christian life. I'm tired of worrying about or considering how everyone else feels. I stood next to a man in Walmart the other day who had a shirt on that said, F you. He didn't apologize about how he felt at all. He didn't turn around and ask anybody else if they were offended by it. In fact, you get the impression he wore it to offend everyone else. And you know what? Everybody just went through their checkout line like it was no big deal. But if we begin talking about Jesus, speaking in other tongues, prophesying, having a Holy Ghost church time in the Walmart line, do you feel the need to apologize? They praise their God in open daylight. Why do we have to hide the horse? I say no. I say no in the name of Jesus. He called us to get out ahead. Stand firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Come on. All Israel. The whole nation. Saints. Every single member of the nation crossed by. You know why? When they got to this place 38 years before, everybody who didn't want to cross got the chance to die in the desert. See, everybody is called, but not everybody is chosen. Right? Right. What happens is, we are called to be the body of Christ. We are bought with His blood. You are given every shot, every power, everything that is at God's disposal. But if you will not do what He has called you to do, then He must raise someone else up in your place. He must. I heard a man give a testimony. He said, Lord, why would you give me such an important task? If it were me, I wouldn't have given me this task, he said. Why on earth would you ask me to do this? So the Lord spoke to him and said, I didn't. I asked three others first. They said no. <laughs> now, he wasn't joking. <laughs> what a humbling experience. I may not be able to do a first class job, but I can do whatever he's asked me to do. Come on, where is your heart this morning, saints? Is it grounded in obedience? Or is it grounded in pleasure? Is it grounded in doing God's will above all else? Or is it in what's expedient? 
the whole nation has to cross. Look at the first verse of the fourth chapter. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, what I want you to know is that God's will is that every member cross the Jordan. Everyone. Not just those who are, appear to be in leadership. Not just those who you think are talented. Every member. This was the old. It was the young. It was the babies on arms. Every member. In our country, for whatever reason, we are distinct from the rest of the world. It is probably because we were a nation of immigrants, people who left where they were, they broke camp, and they set out to a new place. This was an entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit. It was something that was bold and daring, but it's also marked by individualism. It's marked by what you do, me and mine. The nation of Israel and the people who produced this book were always marked by community. It didn't say, well, since Caleb and Joshua were ready to cross, they should cross. They shared the faith of their nation. Do you hear that? Amen. They went where the rest of their nation went, and they encouraged them to cross. The people said no, but they didn't get to go without them. All too often, we have the attitude that, if well, if they won't get with God, they can get on the side. You find yourself in very small company when that's the case. Let's be honest. When has your faith failed you? When did your courage fall by the wayside? What would happen to you if everybody that you knew simply left you behind in that moment? What Israel experienced, they experienced as a community. Are you with me? We're supposed to be a community of believers. This means that what Darren struggles with, Charlie struggles with. Because they belong to each other. They are their brother's keeper. They're the opposite of Cain and Abel. This means that collectively we move in a oneness or sense of accord. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Say, wait a minute, I don't need to know more about them before I'm one of them. <laughs> right? This is why we cannot simply be a group of members. We have to be intricately connected. How can you share people's faith when you don't even know where their heart is? What if all that person wants to do is be a rock star? Do you want to share their faith? Not at all. We have to get in one accord following the presence of God. Amen? Amen? All of Israel, every single part of Israel, had a baptism type experience. They crossed through water, they crossed through judgment, and they came out on the other side as obedient. What would you call that, friends? Salvation. Right? When, when we are baptized, when we're obedient, when we cross through a boundary that is judgment and stand on the other side, that is salvation. Amen. Right? So turn with me then to Joshua 5. You don't have to go far for that, do you? <laughs> now we're in the seventh verse. Speaking of the people who died in the desert who would not cross, he says, So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. After the whole nation had crossed through the Jordan and been baptized in obedience, so that they were now considered obedient children of God, the next step happened. 
They were now standing in the place where others had been disobedient and not gone. You would think that would be enough, huh? Lord, I went where no one else was willing to go. I'm the first member of my generation to be obedient to you. Surely that is good enough, isn't it? He said, no. We have to cut away flesh from you still. We have to remove from you a carnal nature so that you can be used in my presence. Your obedience is a start. Now we're going to be sanctified. This is the rolling away, Gilgal, the rolling away of the burdens that weighed your heart down. Are there no old time people in here that know the old hymns? At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. Who in Israel experienced this? Every member. Or they were not Israel. And they were not there. They were dead bodies out in the desert. We can teach a wheat salvation all day long in this country and you can build giant churches. You can preach gospel life and you can get a giant crowd. But the nation of God are those who all cross the Jordan in obedience and they all have their hearts circumcised with the rolling away of the burdens of their heart and the trappings of their flesh. This happened to an entire nation. People marvel at Romans 11.26 that says all Israel will be saved. And they say, how could that be? Everybody has to have a choice. Everybody had a choice during these things too. But God's Spirit brought them to a place of unity. And as a community, how about that? Co-unity? Community? They experience these things. What might we experience together if everybody was just as committed? Who in here is committed? Name somebody other than yourself that you know beyond any doubt is committed to Jesus. Name them. I heard Zeke. I heard Mike. Name another one. What if everybody in this place was as committed as Zeke? What would our church look like? Hmm? What if all of you thought nothing for where you came from? Nothing for relatives. All you wanted was the will of God. What if you're willing to go places you had no job, where you knew no one, and said, the Lord will show me a church even if it looks like one I've never been in before. What if the worship and everything about it is different than what you were used to and what you'd grown up with, but you could innately recognize the presence of God? What if every person in here was like that? None of you were called to be anything less than that. God raises up priests. He puts His presence in them. He sends them ahead of the people. But every person in this Israel, <coughs> this nation of Gentiles and Jews that is a kind of Israel of God, every person is called to be a priest. Do you follow me? They are the priestly nation that went ahead of us to show us how this should look. In here, every single person should be as committed as the most committed. Yeah. But instead, we're comfortable to raise up heroes, people to fight our battles for us. Great men of prayer who you know will pray for you, but what about you? Isn't that a fair question, friends? In every community, there's a butcher, there's an undertaker, there's a somebody who's a barber, there's a mechanic. We all have different functions, but one function that the body of Christ cannot outsource like our jobs is priest. We are priests. And priests carry the presence of God where no one else will go. All of Israel was saved. All of Israel was being 
sanctified as their sin rolled away. Turn with me to Malachi 3. If you don't know how to get to Malachi, go to the book of Matthew and then make a left-hand turn and you will find yourself where you did not know how to go. Amen. Amen. I love Sister Mary. Malachi 3. Look at verse 9. You are under a curse. The whole nation. How much of the nation? The whole nation. Surely not every single member of this nation was disobedient. But the whole nation, the nation as a whole, was under a curse. Because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. He goes on to say, test me in this. Now, I know, church, you cringe when you hear this because the only way people have ever preached this is, you better tithe or God will get you. That's not our message here. Okay? There is no uh, goblin in the corner that is waiting to see what you do with your checkbook and he jumps out and bites you. The nation is under a curse. Did God need their money? He wanted their obedience. And it just so happens the least obedience in people is usually with their money because it's what they treasure most. It's their hidden God, their idol. The whole nation was saved together. The whole nation was sanctified together. And the whole nation fell under a curse together. But we're a nation of individuals. Yeah. We're going somewhere with this, I promise. But I need you to understand something. God calls communities. He calls groups of people. He never just calls individuals. You show me an individual that He called, and I'll show you a man He called to build the community. He called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, right? What did He call him to do? Build a nation, right? He called Moses, a man who was in the wilderness. What did He call him to do? To go get a nation. So I know one individual he called. He called Adam. And Adam was all by himself on that bayou in Louisiana. Right? (laughs) By yourself. (laughs) He called Adam to start the human race. He has never called a man in and of himself to be by himself for himself. Why do we have so many single names on signs for churches? Our God wants us in community. Because it is in community that His presence dwells in its fullness. And it's when the least in the church can correct those who seem to be the greatest in the church that God can trust you with His power. But as long as we raise up demagogues, as long as we have dictators preaching with big eyes and little U's in each other's names, then He cannot trust us. So we raise up one great man of God after another and they get knocked down one after another and we forget about them and we move on to the next great man of God. I'm not going to name them, but I can tell you in the 80s we could name six or seven men that today their name is, is a bygone word. We've moved on to new great men of God until they fall. Communities don't fall. Communities, each person is helping the other person. Does not Ecclesiastes 4 teach us that if one falls, pity him, he's alone? But if two are there, the work is better, there's a better return for it. And if they fall, they can help each other up. And if they're cold, they can keep each other warm. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. But we're convinced that we have things like 
my calling. Yeah? You know how many times I've said that in my life? My calling? I didn't begin to understand this message and I don't know if I'll be able to preach it all. I'm going to try. But we were at a men's meeting and I was looking at the callings of the men who were around and I was noticing that none of them were the same. And as I heard each of them, I started to look at how they began to compliment each other. And the Lord began to deal with my heart. I wrote it on the inside of the brim of my hat, for those of you who have seen that. I said, will you die for your brother's vision? See, we have this idea that we have something God has called me to do. I'm telling you God has called us to do something. And that it is a special and unique thing when you find your place in where you feel those kind of bonds. There's something that lasts a lifetime. And you cannot buy or manufacture with people you don't have them with. How many times have you met somebody and everything about your life said that you should have some kind of chemistry, but you just don't? You know? I have really close friends for a time period in my life that no matter what I do now, it's just not there. There's nothing wrong. I'm not mad at them. They're not mad at me. We're happy for each other in different places, but it's just not there. And that's because we're not in the same community. We may be in the same nation, but we're not in the same community. Are you feeling me today? Yes. yes. Okay. I was going to ask if you're drinking the Kool-Aid, but that's a bad <laughs> I'm teasing. I try to stay away from occultisms. Because most of my Christian walk doing things like preaching in flip-flops, again, that, my boots didn't fit in my suitcase. Uh, people have accused me of ugly things anyway. This whole nation fell under a curse. They fell under a curse because they did not trust. Turn with me to John 11. That's easy. You just go to the right and you get to the fourth gospel. How about that? Trying to throw your softballs. John 11. In John 11, pick up with me in the 45th verse. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in Him. Did you hear that? How many? Many of the Jews put their faith in Jesus. If you had an idea that a whole nation rejected Him, you were wrong. But when the majority of a nation rejected Him, it fell upon the whole nation. See, a few of you in here could be obedient, and that would be wonderful, but if the majority of you in here are not obedient, guess what happens to the whole of us? Yeah, we have lost this kind of thinking. What we do is we say, well, I was obedient. Well, it's great if you were the most valuable player, but if every other player on your team failed, did your team succeed? But we're happy with our own stats. Come on, those kind of people are prima donnas, and yet it goes on in Christianity all of the time. Well, I was the one who wanted to do this, but no. Well, why didn't you help them? Persuade them, pick them up, drag them if you had to. There are times in my life Matthew Piro dragged me across the finish line. And there are times in his life I pushed him across the finish line. You know why? We're brothers. Amen. And you would never leave your brother in a place that you knew was wrong. I'm asking you to love your brother more than yourself. I'm asking you to join into something that is more than membership. More than just a butt in a chair. Right? I, I've observed. All you got to do is give free food. You get as many butts and chairs as you want. 
but you give away food that will never perish, and only the community will show up. He said in John 11, many Jews had seen what Jesus did and they put their faith in Him. Verse 46, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. This is the two political parties getting together to solve the budget crisis. Right here. The Sanhedrin is the Congress of Israel. The Pharisees are very similar to what you would think of as the Republican Party. And the Sadducees are very similar to what you would think of as the Democratic Party. I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings. It's just a metaphor, but it's true. <laughs> Let me give you a hint. They're all wrong. Because it was about the kingdom and they missed it. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. What does this say about the nation? They were beginning to love Jesus. The leaders of the nation were worried that this groundswell movement was going to take over the nation. So they plotted. But all your life you've heard that the Jews rejected Jesus. Those who were steering the nation rejected Jesus. And it caused the whole nation to experience terrible things. Well, let me ask you then, is it enough that five people in a church are serious about Jesus? Is it enough that 50% of the church is serious about Jesus? What we experience, we're going to experience as a community sense. We will experience victory, healings, amazing things as a community or defeat as a community. And you know what makes up the community? You do. I can't do it for you. Matthew can't do it for you. We cannot be your elected representative before God to do it for you. The community is a community when every man is performing their function as a nation. Listen to this. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. It's interesting. They both had different motivations. The Pharisees didn't like that He didn't always agree with them. The Sadducees knew that Jesus didn't agree with them. They didn't care about that. The Pharisees didn't want to lose their power and the Sadducees didn't want to lose their place. The Sadducees were all priestly people. Religious aristocracy. Those born with a spoon in their mouth. So one group was worried that He's going to be more preeminent than them and the other group was worried that they're going to lose their job. So Everybody's worried about what it costs them to receive Messiah. And they are so very different than us, aren't they? Is that a church mouse that's so quiet in here? What is that? We were supposed to have given our lives the day we were born again. As a community, we were all supposed to march into the sea of humanity and fish for men. But when is the last time you suffered persecution, revived anything for Jesus? We're convinced that He wants us fat and happy and quiet and stupid. Saints, He's called you to be a catalyst for change on the planet. It starts when this entire community is fired up for Him beyond belief. Amen. Our job when we pray for revival, seeks a revivalist. I'm using him today because it won't be here next week. I'm going to get all out of him my day. He's a revivalist. Amen. Revival happens when the entire community 
begins to experience something that you have been praying for for years. Amen. I pray here it would not be the few, but that it would be the many. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. I want you to understand Caiaphas was not a godly man. Caiaphas was a puppet of the Roman Empire. He was actually quite a wicked man, but he occupied a godly office. And God was able to work through even that. And he prophesied accurately. The nation of Israel suffered death in the desert. All of them together. The nation of Israel experienced life crossing the Jordan in obedience. All of them together. They all experienced sanctification in the circumcision that really was the marking of the children of God. Together. They all experienced a cursing because of their lack of faith. Together. And they all experienced the death of one righteous son of Israel. That they could all be redeemed together. And the mystery of God was that you although you were not of their nation, could come and be a part with them. So why then do we think that our God is interested in our calling as individuals? Isn't that a fair question, Saints? Well, what I am called to do is. Well, what I think is. You know, well, I don't know about you, but what I am doing is. You know, there was a debate in the 70s between a Jewish community and a Christian community in the Northeast. And it illustrates the difference in the way that the people of the East think and the people of the West think. Christians were so excited, they put bumper stickers on their car that said, I found Him. That sounds like a great statement of faith, doesn't it? I found Him. The Jewish response was classic. They began to put bumper stickers on their car that said, We never lost. Now wherever you think about that, listen to the difference. I versus we. The reason that the Jewish nation has survived for 2,000 years under extraordinary persecution is there is no sense of us. You are called. You are called to be princes in the nation of God. And that cannot occur with I. It can only occur with we. This is a revelation to me as much as I hope it is you. We know that these things are true, but when it comes to actually applying them, it's where it breaks down. And about a year ago, the Lord began dealing with me. He said, you must be willing to die for your brother's vision. John 10, 16, he described himself as the good shepherd and said that he had sheep that were not of this pen. He had you in mind. This was never about you, and He brought you into it. And somehow, through 2,000 years of history, we've made it all about me. Not even we, just me. We go so far as to give people who are of Jesus' race and believe in Him a special title. 
We're Christians. What are they? Messianic believers. They get the atom. In the beginning, they were the believers. They were believers in Yeshua, followers of the way. We got the atom. Gentile believers. Yeah. We have taken what is community and we have made it all about me. Now there is a global picture there and I get that, but I want to talk to you more about the way that this affects your life. Turn with me to Romans 12. Are you already done with me? In Romans 12, let's pick up together in the third verse. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. He's not telling you to think lowly of yourself. He is rather saying think rightly of yourself. In this room we have those who think more highly of themselves than they should. I would name you, but you already know. We also have in this room those of you who think more lowly of yourself than you should. Our God wants us to think soberly, rightly. There is one question. It is not, are you a great man of God? Are you a poor man of God? It is either that you are a man of God functioning within the body or you are not a man of God functioning within the body and you cannot be a man of God if you are not functioning within the body. This ought to cause you to ask one giant question. What is my function? In my life, the happiest times have been when I've known exactly how to function. The saddest times have been when I did not know. I understand exactly what that's like. You don't find out by sitting with your arms crossed and your legs crossed in the inside. It doesn't work. You have to try. Now, there was a rabbi before Jesus named uh, Rabbi Helena Mendoza. He said, I don't know who will get healed and who won't when I pray. But when I pray and the words flow, uh, he was describing the anointing, flow well from my mouth, they get healed. When they don't, they don't. Since I don't know, I pray for everybody and I can tell afterwards who will be healed. <laughs> yeah, we have an attitude that says I won't pray if they're not going to be healed. He had an attitude that says I'll pray for everybody and we'll know afterward, afterwards what was right. <laughs> I'm suggesting that you take a proactive approach to your role in the body. That you try everywhere and find out that you fit somewhere. Is that fair? How many times will people cross their arms and say, I'm so frustrated with our government. Oh, they're a bunch of liars and crooks, but nobody ever thinks about going to be different, do they? I don't care what you do with the government in that regard, although I think all of you should vote. But I do care very much because he's made me a pastor in the body of Christ, what you do with the body of Christ. And it is not okay to say, oh, the nation's going to hell in a handbasket. It's a bunch of lukewarm Christians. You have to be something that is different. You have to set an example. You have to get out front. You have to change the time. You cannot simply cross your arms and bemoan what is. Can you give me an amen for that? Amen. Amen. Listen to what he says here. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of trust God has given you. Just as each one of us has one body with many members, and each of these members do not all have the same function, 
So in Christ, we who are the many form one body. And each member belongs to who? Each member belongs to the others. Kathleen Z belongs to you. He belongs to you in a really special way. But a mystery in the body of Christ is he also belongs to Brandon. He also belongs to Darren. He also belongs to Bob. We belong to each other. Come on, are there no wives out there that have had to share their husbands like maybe your husband's off working on someone else's behalf all of the time and you start to feel that mine's back there turning red right now? <laughs> and you start to feel a loss because you want him next to you, right? Okay, so we're not going to get an amen for that. You don't love your husband. <laughs> Husbands, have you ever had your wife fall for caretaking for someone and you missed her at all? Yes. Okay, I'm glad we got one amen. We're going to do more marriage counseling in this church. <laughs> we belong to each other. We do. You have different roles with each person. You have different function and different interaction. But we belong to each other. This is why it hurts when somebody uh, walks away from their function. God has to raise up sons in their place. And sometimes that takes time. Would you miss Matthew if he was gone? Yes. You'd miss it. Because his role is unique. J.J. can do some of what Matthew does, but he can't do all of what he does. Matthew can do some of what J.J. does, but Matthew can't do all of what he does. All of you can do what I do, but not like I do it. I might be able to do some of the things that you can do, but we need each other. We belong to each other. Somehow or another, in an effort to make church attendance not the goal, like we don't want to be browbeating about that, we have forgotten that we need each other. And when people are not here, you're missing something that you need. You know that the reason people despair and float in depression is because they don't think they're needed. The Bible says we belong to each other. I would like to illustrate this maybe a different way. So go with me to Exodus 17. There. 17, let's start in verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, by the way, Rephidim is rest. <laughs> yeah, you, you notice that when you're resting, the enemy is working. And when you're working, he's nowhere to be found, friends. The enemy would much rather attack somebody who's asleep than somebody who is working. So I tell you, wake up. We only have so many hours of daylight. You only have so many hours in which you can work. They were at rest and so the Amalekites come. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to, what's that word there? Joshua. Joshua. Hebrew is Hoshea. Another way to say it is Yeshua. All the same word means salvation. The first time that the word Joshua appears in your Bible is when the people of God were at rest and they were attacked. The Amalekites were a warlike, valley-dwelling people group. They were unique in that God Himself said, I'm going to kill every single one of them. I can't think of another group of people that God said there would be genocide for. But He did the Amalekites. He said, I will completely erase their name from under heaven because of their actions. The King of the universe shows up at the moment where the people of God have been lulled to sleep in a prostitute's lap. And he goes to work finding for them. 
1 John 3, 8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The reason Joshua appears in the Scripture is because he has a job. His job is to go fight the Amalekites. What would life be like if there was no Joshua? What would life be like if there was no Jesus? Those are actually similar questions, although Joshua would be mad at me for making the comparison. The reason the Son of God appeared was to teach you to fight a battle. Listen to what happens. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men. How do you get the men? Was it a, was it a, a vote? How, how do you get the men, saints? We just read it. Did they vote for them? Was it a straw poll? They were chosen men. The Scripture says that Jesus chose you. He reminded His disciples, His apostles, before He went to the cross, you did not choose Me. I chose you. Amen. When Joshua shows up and he's going to fight, he chose people to fight. What happens if they won't? He chose you to fight. Joshua showed up when there was a warlike valley dwelling people that licked up the earth, one Bible commentary said. Everywhere they went, there was devastation. So God sent Joshua. Salvation came. And what did salvation do? It first picked people. said, I need you. Even if I don't need you, I'm going to use you. If you won't be used by me, I will find somebody who will. But that doesn't mean the kingdom doesn't suffer loss if you won't do it. Joshua shows up. He chooses some of our men. And go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Isn't it interesting that Moses owned a staff? But who did he say the staff belonged to? You own a testimony, but who does the testimony really belong to? Who is it about? It's about Him. So there is a righteous standard that God has given you. He has shown you what is right. He's shown you what it is to walk humbly, to love mercy and to act justly. He has shown you what He requires of you. But that doesn't belong to you. You are walking it out, but it is His design. And you are to hold that up as Joshua, Jesus, fights with the chosen men. He didn't call you to hide it. He didn't say, go take my staff and bury it. He was to stand and hold it up. Sometimes just refusing to go with the crowd. Sometimes just standing firm in the ground. All of a sudden you will find that there are others who lacked courage the moment before, but have found courage in the moment of unity with you. But nobody knows if somebody doesn't take their stand. Choose some of the men and go out to fight the Amalekites tomorrow. I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses' hands were held up, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. 
I'd like to borrow some people. Is that okay? Yeah. Who wants to be Moses? <laughs> Bob, come down here. You are Moses. <laughs> All right, Moses. Stand in front of the pulpit. This is Moses. Now, Zeke, you're Aaron. Come down here. And God gave you a partner, didn't He? Let's take her. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's a bad preacher joke. Aaron and her. <laughs> her was a man. Her was a man. But not this her. A beautiful woman with a baby. Here's something that is pretty cool. God called here one man, here two, here three, and then somebody in the valley, four, and then as many as he chose, fighting with him, 50 million. I don't know how many. But if any one of these people, hold up his arms. We cannot take a man and say Moses is our hero. Moses is the demagogue of our nation. Moses is the super Christian that we should all revere. Because without anybody around him, Moses' arms get tired. They always fail. 100% of the time, there are no popes in Christianity. They always fail. So what our God has done is He has appointed one man's job to hold this arm, another man's job to hold this arm, and they do not quit as long as it is day. Day is your lifetime, saints. There are only so many hours of daylight in which a man can work, John 9 says, and then night cometh which no man can work. While it is day, Moses' arms must be up with the testimony in it, Aaron's arms must be on Moses' arms. Her's arms, I love that, must be on Moses' arms. Joshua, Cody, you're Joshua. Stand up. Judah, you're a chosen man. Natalie, you're a chosen woman. Y'all stand up with him. For the community of God to succeed, all of this orchestration had to work in obedience. And if they were not obedient, if the chosen people told Joshua no, sit down, Natalie, he's shorthanded. If Joshua says no, sit down, Cody. What difference does this make? There's nobody fighting down in the valley. What happens if these two people quit? Moses is sure to fail. The community of God, y'all can all put your arms down. The community of God works. Oh, one more time, Bob. Come here. The community of God works as every man does his part. Raise your arms. That could be represented just like this. These could be seen as the corners of your mouth. And when they point towards heaven, it's a little bit like a bowl ready to catch blessings from God. An attitude and a heart that God can work in. And you know what your job is? It's to help hold it there. So when you see a mouth that looks like this, and hold them down, out, down, this sheds the blessing of God. This is an attitude God can't work with. So along comes... Uh, Aaron and along comes her and they say, come on brother, come on, you were built for this. It's a flood stage, it's time to go water skiing. Let's go do it. <laughs> this is how the body of Christ works. Y'all, thank you. You can sit down. The body of Christ is based upon the fact that you are there for your brother and your brother is there for you because you are bound together with the threefold cord that is Jesus. One of the things that Jay and Judy Williams told me when they met me is everybody asked me, when, when, when are y'all going out to go do your own thing? Because they've been working with one missionary a long time. I loved his answer. He said, never. He said, everybody's always shocked. He said, never. 
God called my family to work with this family, and that's till we die. Amen. So we disagree with each other. We don't like some things, but this is how God set it up. I'm honoring it. I never, in all of my years in ministry, met anybody who said that. Ever. He said, we call our ministry a covenant. I said, really? I'd like to introduce you to Matthew Pero. God's teaching us the same thing. Right? This is not a message to teach you that none of you go. That's the end of the message. We'll get there. This is a message that teaches you wherever you are, you are to unite with people and share each other's faith. There is no such thing as an individual in a church. A church is, by definition, a community. You can't have... Do you know the Jews cannot meet in an assembly of worship if they don't have ten people? You know why? Not enough for a community. They won't do it. Until they form a forum, they're individuals. But once they have formed ten people, that is a house of worship in their mind. You know what? It took ten men to support one man, and it took the one man as a priest with the other ten men, all of them together, to form a functioning household for God. That's how they saw it. Does that make sense to you? Okay, then we're going to move on to something else. Um, I would like to tell you that the smile on your face is very often an indicator of whether or not you're having victory. It can be faked. I get that. Uh, I would rather you fake it until it becomes true than the alternative. Uh, when, when Paul talked to the Galatian church, the first thing that he says that lets everybody know there's a huge problem is what happened on your joy. Who cut in on you? You weren't running a good race. He could see it. When God spoke to Cain, the first thing he says to him is, why is your face so down? God put a giant barometer for how the weather of your soul is doing right upon your face. He glued it there. And all the cosmetics, all the Botox, all of the face stretching, I've seen a lot of that weirdness in the hospital lately. <laughs> it cannot give you the kind of facelift that a smile can. I'm not telling you to smile for my benefit, I'm telling you to smile for yours, and I'll help you get there. So, but you don't understand what I'm going through, and I'm going to say, let's go through it together. Amen. Is there room for that? Amen. I want to tell you the truth. One of the hindrances to this is people don't want you to go through it with them. They want to throw their own private pity party in love. That's not allowed. It's not allowed. We are our brother's keeper. We're going to join arms and we're going to trudge the long and despairing walk of a man that has nothing left but to walk. But we believe as we approach Jesus, it gets better. Amen? Amen. Okay, how about this? Because y'all probably want to go home at some point. Let's go to Leviticus. Is that okay? It's like one book over. That's going to put you out too much, huh? What, y'all stop talking to me? Is that going to put you out too much? No. no. Leviticus. We're going to be in Leviticus, the 8th chapter. Have you ever seen... Uh, well, let me, let me put it this way. I don't think we have any servicemen in the house at the moment. Well, we do. We have... Bob, you were in the service, huh? Anybody else in here was in the service? John. John was in the service. Uh, uh, both of y'all are army, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that now. So army... If you see somebody approaching you with a green hat on, not a real traditional hat, a green hat that is kind of lopsided to a side, does that tell you that they're in a very special elite group? Yes, Beret. And they're known worldwide because they have a distinctive characteristic, don't they? They have a green beret. Now, I don't know how you know a Navy SEAL. Uh, I probably you wouldn't until he shot you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I couldn't help it, you know, I've always been a little bit of a clown, and I said, well, you know, Jay, I was a power ranger in the war. I was the people. <laughs> he didn't think it was funny. <laughs> Saints, they're all kind of people. They claim to be in the elite forces. But when you know that you've met somebody that is in the elite of forces, is when they're doing battle with the enemy. That's how you know. See, it wouldn't do any good. You wouldn't care whether a SEAL Team 6, 5, 3, 2, 1, whatever. Wouldn't matter to you if they were not out doing their job. They'd be like in retirement or something. They'd go govern a state somewhere. Y'all don't know who that is. He was also a professional wrestler. But uh, you still don't know who that is? Really? Jesse Ventura? Jesse the Body Ventura? It's all right. We're going to talk about the Word of God today. All right. Are you in Judges? Church? I don't want to tell you to become politically active because I'm all kingdom. I really am. But I, I do think that you should know the difference between, you know, the major world philosophies that are shaping our, our nation. Because you're a member of a nation and where it goes, it's definitely going to affect you. That's kind of what this whole message is about. And I'm most concerned with the church. I think the church should steer the nation. But I just got to tell you, if you were in Babylon, you'd need to pray for Babylon because if it prospered, you prospered. So uh, you might ought to watch the news occasionally, maybe read a newspaper. Uh, maybe not just vote for somebody because they could play uh, a saxophone on our city hall. Or... <laughs> yeah, I'll stick to preaching. So in Judges, the first chapter, we find out about the enemy. The enemy shows up here. Judges is all about having conquested the land. The people of God would meet people who were opposite of them because Jericho is always opposite the people of God. The world system is always opposed to the people of God. So Adam was given a task. Adam's task was to go forth and subdue the earth. Y'all remember that? Yeah. Subdue the earth. Well, the people who are opposite of that, of this world system, are those who would like to subdue the people of God. See, these are opposing kingdoms as different as light and darkness. They cannot dwell together. One will subdue the other always. Are you hearing me? Yes. Either the people of God will subdue the principalities of this world or they will be subdued by them. There is no Swiss treaty here. There's none. There's no policy of appeasement here. There is only a no-holds-barred death match. This is where the book of Judges begins. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, Who will be the first to go up and fight for us against the Canaanites? You know, I didn't tell you something real quick about those priests. I told you they put blood on their big toe of their foot, their thumb on their right hand, their ear on the right side of their head. I didn't tell you that Leviticus 14 says, If you're a leper, which all of us were, and you want to be cleansed, that priest who has those markings is first to mark you with blood on the right ear, right thumb, right great toe. And then after he has put blood on you, he's to put anointing oil in all of those same places. See, nobody becomes a member of the elite forces Nobody gets where they're at without going through what they've gone through. Our God takes lepers 
cleans them up and dresses them as priests. If the blood is the crucifixion, what do you think that the oil is? About the anointing of God. Could you could you agree with me there? I want you to hear something. This this maybe I should have preached on this. You cannot have the anointing of God without the crucifixion. The order is always blood, then oil. It is never oil and then maybe some blood later. There is only one way to glory in the kingdom. That is through the crucifixion of your flesh. And then His power rests upon you. This is why blessed are you when men revile and persecute you. For they treated the prophets the same way. And it is also said that the glory of God rests upon your shoulders. Our God in His nation took the lepers and made them equal to priests. Amen. And He's doing the same with us, if you will. Now, it was this group of people that we find ourselves in the book of the Judges. Those who had had first blood, then oil, whole nation saved. The Lord answered, Judah is to go, and I have given the land into their hands. Judah means praise. That's why I named my son that. When you are battling, the first thing to battle with is praise. This is where everything starts and stops. It's like the smile that I told you needed to be on your faces. No matter what you are facing, praise is the place to start. Could there be anything that is harder to obtain when you're in the midst of your most difficult place? Praise is as hard to muster up as it is to crucify the flesh. This is why we say we bring a sacrifice of praise. We're good at singing these things, not so good at giving them. Did you know before you entered into the temple of God to offer your sacrifice, you had to go through a gate that was called the gate of thanksgiving? You could not bring God a sacrifice without a smile on your face. He wouldn't accept it. Yeah? If you want to go to battle with the enemy, you want to be a part of the elite forces, number one, we start with praise. Then the men of Judah said to the Simeonites, their brothers, Come up with us into the territory allotted to us to fight against the Canaanites. We, in turn, will go with you to yours. This is two brothers working in unity. Two men, two tribes that said, Your fate will be my fate, and my fate will be your fate. That is how you begin a community. When two people share the same fate. You know what made the early church powerful? How many of you would like to see the power of God move in this church the way that it did the early church? Do we have an amen out there? Amen. amen. Everybody wants an act-style church, right? Yes. It starts with they had everything in common. They shared each other's fate. If somebody had need, whoever had sold. If somebody needed food, they distributed food. There was no such thing as mine and yours. There was ours. Now do you still want an act-style church? See, these are the things that are in the way, and part of it is simply individualism. We believe that a man works hard, he gets ahead, and that that's how it should be, and if you didn't work hard, you don't get ahead. And I am all about capitalism, saints, but not at the expense of the kingdom. Because the kingdom is all about, I will lock arms with you, we will share each other's fate, we will work together, and we will accomplish the task as a community, not an individual. Are you hearing me? This is not a lesson in political science. This is a lesson in kingdom 
science. Judah meant to praise. Simeon meant to hear. A man's ability to praise God and hear from God are the only tools that he has. People didn't know why when I told them I was so troubled about what was happening with my father. It had nothing to do with the loss of his life. It had nothing to do with any of those things. I could not understand why I felt strongly that I had heard something from God and it did not look like it was going that way. And I was troubled because, like I told the brother the other day, hearing from God is all we have. I've placed my hope in no other thing. The kingdom, the rock that it's founded on is that a man can be revealed something to him from heaven and not from men. This is all we have. Amen. So it's important to keep it. The gateway to hearing from God is praising Him. Amen. The gateway to continue to praise Him is hearing from Him. Yeah. When we hear from Him and we praise Him, then we begin to do what He said to do. When Judah attacked, the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hands and they struck down 10,000 men at Bezek. Bezek. Bezek means lightning. It was there that they found Adonai Bezek and fought against him, putting to rout the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And Adonai Bezek fled, but they chased him and caught him. Before we read the rest, this word in English is A-D-O-N-I. Adon. The word in Hebrew is Adonai. The reason that the English translators did this is to distinguish between the word that we translate as Lord. Adonai means Lord, owner, sovereign. Amen. And this guy who is not that, but has the same name. In other words, we have a false Lord here. We can call him Adonai if you want, but his name, he says, is Adonai. And it's Adonai Bezek. The false God or Lord of lightning. Isn't that interesting? What did they do to him when they caught him? What's that next line say? They cut off his thumbs and big toes. Then Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off. Have I cut off? No. Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off and picked up scraps under my table. Now God has paid me back for what I did to them. There was an enemy of the people of God. And he went about cutting off the big toe on their right foot. The thumb on their right hand. The ear on the side of their head. He did this because it was demeaning. He did this because it was like robbing them of the divine right to be a priest. He did it to take something that was noble and kingly and debase it and make it grovel like a dog. You're getting an insight into what the enemy wants to do to us. He does not want you leading as a priest out front. He does not want you carrying the testimony of God. He does not want you to cross the river at flood stage because he knows if Zeke does it, J.J. might do it. And if J.J. and Zeke join together to do it, Charlie might do it. And if Charlie does it, it might reach Jacob. And if Jacob does it, it might reach Jennifer. And it grows. And a sense of community happens. And before long, you don't have a remnant being saved. You have a nation being saved. You read about the judgment that is coming upon the planet. And you also read about the salvation of a nation called the Bride of Christ. The two always go together because it is a 
and we share each other's faith. This is what's wrong with the idea that part of the church is somewhere else and part is somewhere other than that. We're a community. We share each other's faith. We share it. I don't know if Bezak would like to cut your anointing from you. He wants to remove your ability to hear from God. He wants to remove your ability to act for God. How many times have you wanted to do something for Jesus and then sat back and said, I mean, I'm the least in my clan. Go hide in my threshing floor. If God wants me, He'll make me do it. He's cut off your thumb without you even having to fight with Him. See, we have to get out front, saints. They did to Him what He had planned to do to them. And they did it as a community. I'm telling you, church, whatever your darkest fears are, whatever you are fighting with, whatever your struggle is, if you make it the struggle of the community, we will do to Him whatever He was planning to do to you. Amen. This is how the people of God overcome. Are y'all ready for our last scripture today? Yes. Is that okay? Here comes our last scripture. Turn with me to the book of Numbers. After this, we're going to pray for Zeke and Kathleen. We're going to pray for Kathleen's mom. We're going to share in a struggle. This will be Numbers 32. The false god of lightning will have no victory here. There are men in this room, women in this room, that feel like you have accomplished much for the Lord and I'm proud of you. You have. There are people in this Lord that feel perfectly content in His presence now and I'm glad. I'm glad you know who you are in Christ. There were tribes in Israel that got right up to the riverside and they said, you know, we like it right here. At first that looks like disobedience. It looks like what they're family members had done before. But in reality, it was not disobedience. It was part of God's plan that nobody understood. But listen to what was required of them. This is Numbers 32. Start with me in verse 17. But we are ready to arm ourselves to go ahead of the Israelites until we have brought them to their place. Meanwhile, our women and children will live in fortified cities for protection from the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every Israelite has received his inheritance. The Transjordanian tribes got right up to the edge of the Jordan and they said, God has given us such a good land, we want this spot right here. And God said, you can have it, but you will not have your inheritance until you have fought alongside your brothers and every single member receives their inheritance on the same day. Friends, you may have found a place that you're comfortable in your walk. You may be in the zone. I kind of personally feel that way. I can't imagine life getting any better than this. I joke with you all about going to foreign countries and all, all that's going to happen, but I am most at home standing right here. We cannot rest until every single brother and sister in this room feels the exact same way. If that means that they go to Virginia, then they go to Virginia, but we help them. If it means that somebody is planted here, then we help them. We are a community. And another way to say community is family. 
Charlie, Joe, y'all have family in other states? They're no less family because they're in another state. You don't love them less. In fact, you might long to see them more. The community of believers is modeled after a family. And it's called the family of God. I'm telling you that there's an enemy out there that wants to steal your anointing. He wants to discourage you. He wants to keep you from crossing the river. He's pumped it up so that it feels like it's a flood stage and your heart's beating in your chest saying, we can't, we can't, we can't. This is why no single priest was called to lead Israel. The word is always plural. That's why we're a nation priest. This is when one hesitates, the other acts, and you will never let your brother go to war without you. This is how we act as a union. This is how we come into a God-like harmony that is facing the enemy. Amen? Amen. I believe that you were chosen men. So I want to choose you now and say, come to this altar. Let us pray together, all of us. 